Well, good morning, Northland. It is good to be with you. Yes, I mean, energy, love it. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We are completing our All Things New series today. And then next week, we will go back into the book of Acts, and that will carry us through May. And then in June, we are going to do something different this year, and it will be something that we do every summer, but it will be what we call our cultural engagement series. And what we want to do is help you understand how to engage culture well through the lens of the gospel. So we will be doing Hamilton through the eyes of the gospel in the month of June. So uh, you'll just have to stay tuned to that. But I don't want to get ahead of ourselves too much because I want to finish strong at this series, All Things New. I came across, and I know that we have kids in the service with us, definitely elementary grade school. If you're an elementary grade child, will you scream, I'm here? Wow, okay. Anyways, there you go. They're quiet. Never had that happen. Anyways, but I learned something this week that I want to teach all of you Floridians because I promise you most of you did not know this. And here, here's the question. Do you know what Epcot stands for? Do you know what Epcot stands for? If you do, just shout it out. All right. So here, here's the answer. Here's the answer. Experimental Prototype Community of Tomorrow. How many of you, you got that right? Okay, how many of you got that wrong? Okay, yeah. I had no idea. I had no idea that Epcot stood for Experimental Prototype Community of Tomorrow. And when I found that out, I'm like, I've got to go. And then the podcast that I was listening to, it said, it talked about how Walt Disney had this video of him explaining the vision of Epcot. So I want you to listen and see this two-minute clip of Walt Disney in 1966 talk about Epcot. Go ahead. Epcot will take its cue from the new ideas and new technologies that are now emerging from the creative centers of American industry. It will be a community of tomorrow that will never be completed but will always be introducing and testing and demonstrating new materials and new systems. And Epcot will always be a showcase to the world for the ingenuity and imagination of American free enterprise. I don't believe there's a challenge anywhere in the world that's more important to people everywhere than finding solutions to the problems of our cities. But where do we begin? How do we start answering this great challenge? Well, we're convinced we must start with the public need. And the need is not just for curing the old ills of old cities. We think the need is for starting from scratch on virgin land and building a special kind of new community. So that's what Epcot is, an experimental prototype community that will always be in a state of becoming. It will never cease to be a living blueprint of the future where people actually live a life they can't find anywhere else in the world. Everything in Epcot will be dedicated to the happiness of the people who will live, work, and play here, and those who come here from all around the world to visit our living showcase. We don't presume to know all the answers, 
In fact, we're counting on the cooperation of American industry to provide their very best thinking during the planning and the creation of our experimental prototype community of tomorrow. And most important of all, when Epcot has become a reality and we find the need for technologies that don't even exist today, it's our hope that Epcot will stimulate American industry to develop new solutions that will meet the needs of people expressed right here in this experimental community. I watched the entire video. It's about 30 minutes long. You can find it on YouTube. But I was like, I was blown away because I have a sanctified imagination. But after he shared this vision, I actually, on the particular video that I watched, I mean, there were thousands of comments. And so I just scrolled through them and I picked out three that I want to share with you this morning. Here are some comments from people after watching this video. If I was ever able to design a city, I'd take a lot of inspiration from this. Mind blown, one person said, why am I only learning about this now? This is serious inspiration to my own ideas for urban planning. And then one person said, if this Epcot would have been a reality, I would have lived there and stayed there forever. I mean, yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, it's like, wow, unbelievable. And what was so, what was so fascinating is that Walt Disney, he wanted to enclose it, about 30,000 people in this city of uh, tomorrow, and he wanted to enclose it so he could, he, he could control the weather and all that. It, it was fascinating. And as I was listening to this and I was reading these comments, I'm like, you do realize that Walt Disney wasn't the first one to suggest this kind of community of tomorrow. Here's the main point that I wanna, I wanna share with you on the flesh out. The new you is part of a new Epcot. What's the Epcot? It's the eternal prototype creation of tomorrow. That, that's what it is. You see, Walt Disney wasn't the first one. What we'll see today is that when Jesus came to planet Earth, when he lived a perfect life, when he died on the cross, was buried, rose from the dead, he launched a new Epcot. An eternal prototype community and creation of tomorrow. And that's what Paul is getting at in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And so with that, I want us to stand. I want us to honor the reading of God's word. And I cannot wait to unpack this with you this morning. Verse 16, here's what Paul writes. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. So, so if you are in Jesus, you no longer see people the same way. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. We see Jesus as he really is if you are in him. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new what? Creation has come. It is, is dawned. The old has gone, the new it's here. Emphatically, the new is here. You can experience new life even today. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And what's the ministry of reconciliation? That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Everybody say in Christ. Not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. And so we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Let's pray. Father, 
Uh, I pray that you would be glorified, Jesus. May you be the center of this message. May you be the center of Northland Church. May you be the center of each individual life that is here and that is engaging with us online. Spirit, I do pray that you would be unleashed to do your work, your ministry in our midst. And I pray that that work would consist of taking those who are already new creatures in Christ and shaping and forming them more into the image of our King. I pray for those who are here this morning who are watching us online that are far from Jesus. I pray, Spirit, you would go to work drawing them to the beauty, the grace, the mercy, the forgiveness, and the transforming power of Jesus to make them new. And that's what we pray in the name of our King. And all God's people said, you may be seated. So I want to answer three questions this morning from this text and really the, the entire chapter and even a few, few verses in chapter four. But here's the first question that we're going to answer. What is this new Epcot? So if this is the eternal prototype creation of tomorrow, what, what is this? Well, Paul writes in verse 17, which many of you, you're familiar with this verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. Now, if you're just reading that maybe for the first time, you, you're, you're probably asking yourself, why did new have to come? What was so wrong with the old? And so to give you just a quick, a few minute summary, I want to go back to Genesis because what I'm doing every time I do this is that it's for those maybe who have never heard this, but it's also to constantly remind us of what we believe. And so in Genesis 1, here's what we read in verse 26 and 28. God said, let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness so that they may rule over the created order. So on days one through five, God had created everything in the created order. In day six, he had created even the animals. And then at the very end of day six, he creates mankind. And now he's saying, all right, let, let us make mankind in our image and our likeness to, to rule over, to exercise dominion on everything that we had created from day one all the way through day six. So God blessed mankind, humanity, and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. I think it's really, I think it's really important that we understand what does it mean to be human. And in these two verses, we actually understand the 30,000 foot view of what it means to be human. And so let me put up a framework so if you want to know what does it mean to be human, this is actually what it means to be human. These five elements, because these five elements are distinct from the animal kingdom. And here it is, personal. So personal actually is how we relate to ourselves and to God. So every one of us, we are a personal being and we relate to ourselves in a, in a unique way. And then we also are to relate to God personally. Then relationally talks about how we relate to others. So we have a, a relationship with our spouse. We have a relationship with our parents. Uh, we have a relationship maybe with people who live in our subdivision or our community. So how you relate to one another is part of what it means to be human. And then vocationally, how we relate to our job and career. So you ask questions like, why do we work? How should we work? Or what should we reflect? 
in our work. Because when you look in Genesis chapter one, God goes to work and then he tells humanity to subdue the ground. In other words, take the raw materials, take all of the materials that I've just made, because you didn't make them, but I want you to take what I've made. I want you to enhance them and I want you to go to work. I want you to have a job. I want you to have a career. I want you to have a vocation. It's also where we get calling. So I want you to do something throughout the week that images me in your work, in your job. So it's how you relate to your job as an element of what it means to be human. And then managerial, it's a managerial element, how you relate to things. So they were to rule over, to exercise dominion, meaning that they were to steward and to manage that which they did not create, but God did and he put them there to steward it for his glory. And then at the center is culture. It's how you relate to the world. So I want you to picture it's just two human beings there. Uh, they, are to, they are to be personal beings, relate to one another. They're to work. And as they work and as they manage what God had given them, as they are fruitful and multiplied, they would produce a community. And that community, as they would cultivate the raw materials, it would lead to culture making and then that culture making, the beliefs and the values and the artifacts that they make would actually lead to civilization and that is the essence of humanity and in Genesis 1, here was their faith. Adam and Eve, Eve had a faith and their faith actually had five elements to it as well and this is again, maybe you've seen this before but faith is belief in, confidence in, trust in and they're committed to what? A worldview. And their worldview was that God created the world. Their mission and their purpose in life was to image God in the world. In other words, to reflect God's glory, his characteristics, his attributes, and his nature. And in doing so, they would reflect the kingdom of God on planet Earth. They would have a set of ethics, a pattern of behavior that would reflect who God was. And then they had some practices of faith, their maturity. Adam and Eve only had really one practice. When God put them in the Garden of Eden, he said, I want you to have freedom in this garden. You can eat from any tree except this one tree. And the day that you eat of that tree, you shall surely what? So the only practice of their faith was to exercise freedom, but also restraint, understanding that Lord, that the Lord was, was God. He was Lord over the garden. And then the center of their faith was Yahweh. So I'm giving you a 30,000 foot view of creation at the very beginning because Paul's going to write something happened to the creation to make it old and tainted and broken and that what happened was mankind, Adam and Eve, sinned. Everybody say sin. So they committed treason, they committed rebellion, God told them not to do this, they did it, and therefore they shattered the image of God on man. So you take those five elements of what it means to be human, and those five elements, they're broken now. They are tainted by sin. We don't relate to ourselves the way we should. We don't relate to God the way we should. We don't relate to one another the way we should. We don't approach job or our careers or our vocation the way we should. We don't manage things the way we should. And then our culture is broken because we don't do that which we were created to do. We are marred by sin and therefore we needed to be saved. Now, God, he had a couple of options. He could have just left us to die. 
He, he could have just wiped us off the face of the map because he said, and the day that you do this, you shall surely die. But what God chose instead was to send his son in redemptive history so that we might be saved, so that we might be made new. And what Paul is saying here is that if you are in Jesus, new creation has come. That old creation was marred by sin, but new creation is marked by Savior. And so that, that is what he's saying right now. Now there's three truths that he's going to talk about in this new creation. You ready for those three, those, those three truths? Here they are. Truth number one. We are part of a new people and kingdom. So if you are in Jesus, if you're part of the new creation, you are part of a new people and a new kingdom. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Now, just sit in that just for a second that he uses the word ambassador. An ambassador lives in a foreign land, although they are from another land. So, so that's why I constantly reiterate that if you are in Jesus, America is not your home. Like the, the, we, we're just aliens and sojourners passing through America on our way to the new city, Jerusalem. And while we are here, if we are in Christ, we are his ambassadors. And then if you want to take that a step further, if we're all individual ambassadors, where ambassadors conduct their business today is what they call embassies. So the church is the embassy of the kingdom of God, where the beliefs and values and rules in that embassy are different than the culture in which it exists. That is the reason why we should be in the world but not of the world because we are part of a world that is not yet fully but one day will be fully and it's called the kingdom of God. We are ambassadors and we are part of the embassy of the kingdom of God. That's what Paul's saying. Now you remember that video clip that we just saw with Walt Disney? Just that two minute clip, let me give you, let me give you some statements that he made and I'm, going to, I'm about to go really, really buck wild because I use my sanctified imagination. So won't you play along? All right, so one is community of tomorrow that will never be completed, always in a state of becoming. That's the church. I mean, think about it. We're like a community of tomorrow that will never be completed. As long as we are on this side of heaven and on this side of Jesus's second return, listen, we will never be fully made perfect. We are always in a state of becoming. Becoming like what, Josh? Becoming more like Jesus. Amen. And so, so we'll never, we'll never have, arrive. And so again, that's why it's a prototype. A prototype isn't finished yet, but we are the eternal prototype in a constant state of becoming more and more like Jesus as we move to the full on out, total flourishing new city called Jerusalem. Now, a showcase to the world. So, so we are this showcase that this is what life should be like. Like look at the church and this is what being human should be. And then a special kind of new community. Like there is only one church, Big C, and there's nothing else like it. And you know why? Because there's no other God that died for his people. No other God. No other God. And so a special time, like we are special because we have been bought by the blood of Jesus. 
And then some more statements. A living blueprint of the future. Oh, I love this. I love this. So, so when, you, when, when you start looking at what Jesus did when he came, and you can see what he did in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then you can kind of see what the future is going to be like in the Old Testament too, in places like Isaiah, like 60, and then also in Revelation 21, 22. And so you study those things of what Jesus kind of inaugurated, what he began in his ministry. You see what the end looks like. And so we know what there at least is, go- we know what some of the things there is going to be. So, so we live here as if we're already living there. That that's what it means by a, a living blueprint of the future. If you really want to know what the future looks like of all eternity, you need to peer into the church and you'll see that living blueprint. That's what we're supposed to be, church. That's what we're supposed to be. And then finding solutions to the problems of our cities. Finding like, so here's the thing we, we know. I, I mean, even Walt Disney knew this in 66 that our cities are jacked up. And so he wanted to create a new city that wouldn't be so jacked up that would help solve the problems of our old cities. Oh, I mean, I'm telling you, we are a city on a hill. We are to be salt and light. And if the, hey, listen, if the culture wants to solve racism, they ought to look at the church and see how we are coming together. One people from diverse backgrounds and ethnicities and races. Like the church should get that right. And we should say, hey, let me tell you how to solve this. This is how you solve it, all right? And then we got problems of families. Well, we got, we got, we got identity issues. Oh, we got sexual identity issues, gender issues. We got family problems. But the church, again, we're a prototype. We should be doing much better than the world at these things. Why? Because we have the power of Jesus operating within us. Yes. And then people live a life they cannot find anywhere else in the world. This is our prayer here at Northland, that we would live in such a way we, we would actually live out new creation in such a way when people look there, you cannot find that life anywhere else in the world. You can't. See, this is the eternal prototype creation of tomorrow that has been purchased by the blood of Jesus. And Paul was saying that you, if you are in Jesus, you are part of this new humanity. You're part of this new people. You're part of this new kingdom. But here's the second truth. He says, we have a new purpose for living. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What's the ministry again? That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Okay, so Josh, what what is this message of reconciliation? What's this ministry of reconciliation? What does reconciliation mean? It just simply means to be right with God. So we have this purpose that if you're in Jesus, you're part of his new people, every single one of us, we are ministers of reconciliation. And you do realize that as human beings, there's nothing that we can do to work our way to be made right with God. That is why the gospel is the good news, is that knowing that man couldn't do anything to be made right with God, God did everything to be made right with human beings. So he sent Jesus Christ to die for our sin so that we might be made right with God through faith in Christ. 
So if you think about reconciliation, there's three little legs to reconciliation. One, God pursued you. If you are in Christ, God pursued you. If you're not in Christ, let me tell you, God is pursuing you. And he's pursuing you in your wretchedness. He's pursuing you in your ugliness. He is pursuing you in your filth and your mess. God loves you. He demonstrated his own love for you that while you and I were sinners and sinful, Christ died for you. He pursued you. And then not only did God pursue you, but he pardoned you and he paid for your sin debt. Every single one of us, we were sinners by our very nature. We saw that last week. As a result, we deserve death, hell, and judgment. Congratulations. That's what you deserve. That's what I deserve. We didn't come in first place. We came in dead last and we deserve hell. All right. That's because of our sin. But, but the good news in reconciliation is that Jesus paid our sin debt. He paid the debt that we could not pay. So he pursued us, he paid our sin debt, and now he purifies us. So when God looks, this is what reconciliation is. So when God looks at Josh Laxton, he doesn't see sinful old tainted Josh Laxton, but he sees a Jesus in Josh Laxton. He purifies past present, future, every time God looks at me, he sees Jesus paid in full, purified, and in this constant state of becoming like Jesus. That, that's reconciliation. And Paul says that if you are in Christ, you are a minister of reconciliation. And he, and he says this, we, we are the conduit by which Christ is making his appeal. Meaning that if Jesus physically was standing here and you did not know him, or if you do know him, he would constantly be urging and pleading and begging you to dive deeper into reconciliation. And then he would constantly be urging and pleading with you to be reconciled to God through him. Like he, he would be passionately just, just begging to, he was blue in the face. That's what Paul is saying. That's why, I mean, to be honest, that's why I'm, you know, I'm just a crazy man up here on stage every week, week in and week out, because I truly believe that Jesus has changed my life. I've seen it. And I believe that he can change your life. And I'm just, I'm just a crazy man. Like, if you read this passage, Paul will say, even some people called him out of his mind. Like, Paul, you out of your mind. Yes, yeah, sometimes I'm out of my mind because I'm in the spirit of Jesus. Like, I'm begging you, please get to know this life. Get to understand what it means to be reconciled with God. Live out those implications. And then, if you don't know Jesus, please, please, please come to know Jesus. Please. Uh, Here's, here's true, two truths that we see about reconciliation. And it, we won't deliver this message unless we've received this message. You, you, you cannot become a minister of reconciliation until you have become a servant of Jesus. And, and then the message won't be as well received unless it is properly delivered. Well, what do you mean by this, Josh? Well, he, if we say that we have already been reconciled to God through Christ, then our life should begin to reflect that truth. 
So if our life doesn't reflect that truth and we go out and preach a message of reconciliation, there, there's going to be confusion on the, on the people that we are telling because they're like, we hear you say be reconciled to God, but you are living a life that doesn't depict or reflect you being reconciled. So could it be one of the reasons why the church is having so much, so many issues in relating to the culture is because what we believe and say has not synced up with the how we live. So he's saying, all right, now you're part of a new people if you are a new creation. You have this new purpose, this, this ministry of reconciliation, every single one of you. And here's the third truth about this new Epcot. We look at people from a different or a new perspective. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So I was really sitting in this text this week. All right, so, so we as believers, if we're in Jesus, we regard no one the way we used to. And again, the way we used to, we, we used to see, and that's why I wore glasses today, we used to see in a very blinded way because sin had blinded us. We had been marred by our sin. And so we saw people the way that we should not see people. We, we, we saw people the way God didn't see people. But, but in Jesus, he's given us his perspective. He's given us his lens. And so therefore we see people differently because when we look at people through the world's eyes, we see them in all kinds of categories. We see them in all kinds of classes. Uh, we see them divided in so many ways. But when you put on the spectacles, when you put on the lens of Jesus, there's only two categories of people. Do you know what those categories are? Saint and sinner. That's it. Saint and sinner, that's it. There's no more division breakdown when it comes to the way God sees people. You either are a saint or you are a sinner. And if you are in Jesus, you see people that way. So let's think about it. All right, so let's take the saint. How does Jesus see his church? Well, he sees his church as, that's my bride. They're the bride of Christ. He'll see the church as that's the temple of God. That's where the spirit of God dwells. He'll see the church as his body, the body of Christ, made up of many members, but one body. He'll see the church as the household of God, the family of God. That's my family. That's where my brothers, that's where my sisters, that's where they live. And so if you are in Christ, let me ask you, do you see the church that way? It's my body, that's my family. That's the temple that I'm part of. And, and here's what I do know. We live in a, a, a Christian culture where people would say, well, I've been hurt by church, I don't wanna go back to be part of a church. Okay, okay, let me ask you. Did God, did, did, did you hurt God? but yet he still pursued you and wanted to be part of you. So I understand that, man, I've been hurt by, the, my family's been hurt by the church way too many times. But the church is the body of Christ who are comprised of people who originally hurt God, but God loved them too much to be separated from them. And then I understand that there are some people that will be out there and they would, they would say, you know what, Josh, like, 
I, I can worship. I can worship God. I can worship Jesus just anywhere. I, I don't need to be part of a, a body. I, I, you know, and again, I, I want people to realize that I'm not just thinking about churches like Northland. I mean, it could be smaller churches. It could be house churches, but being part of a community, a family of God. But some people would say, you know what? I don't, I don't need community. I don't need church community. I can do all that by myself on the golf course in a boat. I mean, I, I don't, but here's the thing. That would be like the brain telling the entire body, listen, I don't need you hands, I don't need you eyes, don't need you nose, don't need you mouth, don't need you feet, I am smart enough without you. I am the brain. (laughs) Only problem with that, the brain, is that you cannot fully function the way you were designed to function apart from the other members of the body. So you can be the smartest part of the body. But if you ain't got the body, so here's the thing. For you to function, for you to flourish the way God intends you to flourish is to be part of his body. And then some of you would say, well, you know, uh, I just, I, you know what? I ain't got the time. I mean, we got, we, got, we got seven kids, you know, ranging from 18 down to two. I ain't got time. Or, you know, yeah, but here's the thing. We, we know this. You make time for that which is most important. And, and I, I, I would just say, I would hope and pray that every single one of us, we would want to be part of the body that Jesus Christ died to save. That's what I, that's what I would say. So... So when it comes to how you see people, God, God has given us a new perspective. And then when it comes to sinners, I want you to think about sinners. How does Jesus see sinners? Well, he sees sinners as sick that need a doctor. They, they need a doctor. He sees them as sheep without a shepherd. He sees them as lost in or to their sin. And what we see with Jesus is that he became their doctor. He wanted to be their shepherd. He came to seek and to save that which was lost in and to their sin. Therefore, therefore, his church, we will love the world in their lostness. We will not condemn them in their ugliness. Why? Because they already stand condemned. We will strive, we will strive to shine light in their darkness and we will seek ways to treat them in their sickness. Why? Because we're part of this new people, this new Epcot. That's what this new Epcot is. But then the second question that I want to answer this morning is why should we be so passionate about this Epcot? Or you can even say it this way, Josh, why are you so passionate about this Epcot? I'm glad that you asked. Here we go. For Christ's love compels us. Everybody say love. Love, oh. So what compels Paul? What compels the church? Christ's love. And he died for all, Christ did, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Paul is saying this, that word compels means to seize control. And Paul is saying, I, and if you are in Christ, you should have been too seized with control by the love of Christ that what directs you, what guides you, what motivates you is the agape, the unconditional love of Christ. 
And we actually learn a principle. Here, here's the principle that we learn. Control is tied to wonder. Let, let me ask you, like, how many of you, you have a TV show or maybe a Netflix series, Hulu series, Paramount Plus series, Disney Plus series? How many of you have a series that you, you, you're just enamored with that you're watching right now? Okay, yeah. All right, so The Mandalorian in our house, also The Blacklist in our house, and then a, a, a show that's actually one of my favorites of all time, Madam Secretary. I've even watched that entire series twice. Like, I just love that stuff. All right. And then I started thinking about, okay, even in our kids, like when we would buy them like bicycles, they loved that bicycle. They were enamored and in awe with that bicycle for about two weeks. And then now all those bicycles just collect cobwebs. So, so, so while they were in awe of that bicycle, they were controlled to ride it. But when they lost the wonder, they lost the control of riding it. Now we got, it. We, we got our youngest right now. He, he, he's amazed me. He really has. He is, he is taking up fishing. Our 11-year-old. And, and, and why it amazes me is that I don't fish. No one in our family fishes. I remember, and I've told anybody, that if, if you want me to go fishing, I'll go with you. I'll talk to you. I love hanging out. But if I catch a fish, you're going to have to take that sucker off. So that's why I'm really amazed because if old Lukey calls for daddy to come help him to take off a fish off the hook, you got to you got you to call for your mama because your daddy ain't going to do it. So, so here, here's actually a picture of him of a fish that he caught like two weeks ago. I'm thinking... And Joni and I, we have been amazed. I mean, we, I mean, he, every day, if it's not raining, he's got his little fishing pole and he's out at this little retention pond. And, and so I asked him yesterday, I'm like, Luke, I, I got to know, why, why are you fishing every day? What, what, what is it? And you know what he told me? Dad, I just love nature. <laughs> I'm like, well, your daddy doesn't love nature, but undoubtedly you do. And so he's out there every day now. I would love it if, if he would just stay in awestruck and in wonder. And every day, but, but we know this, sometimes wonder comes and wonder goes. And, but, but I want you, don't forget this, wonder is tied to control. Anything that has left you awestruck, anything that has left you in great wonder, it will always control you. And what Paul is saying is that he has never lost the wonder of Jesus. He's never lost the wonder of the love of Christ. And here's why. Here's why. The wonder of Christ was tied to something with Paul. Here it was. The wonder of Christ was tied to the wretchedness of Paul. He just couldn't get over the fact that he was a wretch. He was a sinner. He, he was destined for hell. He was destined for God's judgment and his wrath. But God knocked him down one day in a gracious and merciful way, blinded him by a light, and shared with him the glory of God's riches in Jesus Christ. That God loved him so much that in his wretchedness, God wanted to reach down and save the Apostle Paul. He wanted to put a new song in the Apostle Paul's mouth. He wanted to put his feet upon a rock. He wanted to establish the Apostle Paul. He wanted to give Apostle Paul new life, new clothes, and Paul never got over the wonder of Christ because he saw himself as a wretch. And I know what you're thinking because this is what's hard in America. I ain't no wretch. Yeah, you are. 
And here's the thing, and we'll, we'll always preach that truth because the depths of your depravity will determine the heights of God's glory in your perspective. Because if you don't see yourself as that bad, you'll never see God as that good. Never. And I would rather tell you that you are a wretch now on earth rather than you finding that you are a wretch in hell. No, I'm, just, I'm joking. Yeah, yeah. I'm better than, yeah, that's, all right. We're going, here's the, la, here's the, last, the last question. And here we go. We're going to answer this. How do we know we're part of this new Epcot? This would be great, right? Because you had people, when they saw Disney's vision, I want to live there forever. That would be awesome. So, so here's the thing. How do you know, how do I know that we're part of this new Epcot? Well, here, here's how. Now, the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God who has given us the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Here's how you know. Jesus has given you his Spirit, the Holy Spirit, as a deposit. (laughs) You didn't have to give. You did not pay for admittance into Epcot. Jesus paid that for you. And not only did he pay the price for you to get into this new Epcot, but he put a deposit down called the Holy Spirit. Now the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. And so here's what's going to happen when when the Spirit of God lives inside of you, there will be three signs. Now again, these are three signs. These are not three works that the Spirit of God lives inside of you. And these will be the signs that show you that you're part of this new Epcot. Here are the signs and they're taken right from the text. Sign number one, we will not lose heart in the present. We will not lose heart in the present. So just a few verses before in chapter four, here's what Paul writes. We do not lose heart. For our light and momentary troubles, afflictions, are achieving for us an eternal weight of glory that far outweighs them all. So we will fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is unseen is eternal. I understand that this world, as we saw a couple of weeks ago, it's full of hurt, heartache. It's full of pain and suffering. It's full of troubles and afflictions. But if the Spirit of God lives inside of us, if we're part of this new Epcot, we never lose heart no matter what we go through. We go through hurricanes, we go through tornadoes in life. We do not lose heart because because we know that the glory that awaits us far surpasses the present suffering of this world. So we're not gonna lose heart. See, while everybody else in this world, because they don't have an anchor like that, they will lose heart, not the church, because they have the Spirit of God in them speaking to us is that, hey, this is just light and momentary, light, momentary, but you don't understand, no, no, you don't understand what glory awaits us. This is light and momentary, a court, like in comparison to the glory that awaits us. Like, you don't, don't lose heart, stay there. Your anchor is Jesus. Don't lose heart. Here's the second sign. We will long to be with God in the future. We'll long to be with God in the future. Aren't we with him now? Yeah, but not like we will be in the future. Here's what Paul says. Meanwhile, we groan. We, we long to, to be clothed. And uh, That was weird. So anyways, but <laughs> longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. 
Oh, and then in Philippians 1:21, Paul would say, to live is Christ, to die is gain. I mean, Paul, he, he was torn. He saw living here on earth, he's like, oh my gosh, there's so much work to be done as a minister of reconciliation. There's more churches to cultivate so that they might understand how to live deep into this idea that they have been reconciled with God. There, there's so many tribes and tongues and nations that have not heard about this message of reconciliation. Man, there's so much work to be done. But on the other hand, oh my gosh, oh, to be with Jesus, to have the new body, to, to, not, to not have the thorn in my flesh, to, 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 have, a, uh, to have a perfect, glorious body uh, that is devoid of arthritis, that is devoid of decay, that is imperishable. Oh, my land, I would love to be there too, but he was torn. But, but he never lost the longing and the groaning for home because he knew earth was not home. Let me ask you this, do you realize that again, this is not your home and do you long for home? Do I long for home? Because if the Spirit of God is in us, we will long to be at home. And then last, and I'll end with this, we will make it our goal to please Him. 2 Corinthians 5, 9 through 10. So we make it our goal to please Him. Whether we are at home in the body here or we are away from it, our aim is to please Him. Church, if you are in Christ, is your aim to please him. Is your aim to please him. Do you wake up and go, you know, here's my life. Let it be this fragrant offering up to thee. So as I, as I was finishing out this message, here's the thought, and I end with this thought. You know, Walt Disney had a vision that was never realized for Epcot. And people would say, man, if he lived, because he died just a few months after that video, of lung cancer. And people would say, if he just lived five, 10, 15 years, this, the Epcot would have been realized because he was just that kind of person to get it done. So, you know, Walt Disney, his vision wasn't realized because he died. The new Epcot, the eternal prototype creation of tomorrow, it is being realized and you know why? because Jesus didn't stay dead, but he rose from the grave. The only way this kind of vision is realized is if you have a living God that has made the way possible for this kind of community. And if you are a Christian, you're part of the new Epcot. If you're not, I know what God would say if he was here in person. I plead with you, I beg with you to become part of the new Epcot through Jesus Christ our Lord. Father, as we transition now from word, worshiping you through word, through worshiping you through song and then baptism, may our hearts be attuned to the glory of our great God and King. For it's in your name we pray. All God's people said, amen. amen.